RRPN, the Rumpus Room Podcast Network. Lido Deck and the Rumpus Room Podcast Network are proud to have Norm's Discount Swords as our presenting sponsor. Norm's Discount Swords and Reseda, cutting edge technology. Attention all passengers, this is your cruise director. Welcome aboard the Pacific Princess. We're about to set sail for adventure, new romance, and love. But first, come on up to the Lido Deck with your crew, John Champion, Bill Smith, and Dan Davidson. Bon voyage! Welcome into another episode of Lido Deck, a love boat podcast. I'm your captain, John Champion. I'm your chief yeoman purser, Bill Smith. And I'm your ship's doctor, Dan Davidson. Here we go, a momentous day for Lido Deck, where we're not only celebrating the start of season six of The Love Boat, but we're celebrating the fact that we have reached our 200th episode here on the Lido Deck. That's right, 200 episodes of Lido Deck, so so far covering 137 episodes of The Love Boat. Today marks 138 and 139 as we steam into season six with a two-parter, Venetian Love Song, down for the count, Arrivederci Gopher, and the arrangement. Oh man, I, I don't want to spoil it. I, I don't like, <laughs> we just started. I don't want to spoil it. You both know, and our audience knows already that I love a good gopher centric storyline. So I look forward to getting into the details with both of you. Um, I also, I look forward to reminiscing a little in today's show about how far we've come in the guys, five years, five wow. years to the day. <laughs> since we started Lido Deck and some of the highlights and and challenges, of course, of uh, our past five seasons and uh, six seasons of The Love Boat. Unbelievable. And, you know, through all of those five seasons for 137 episodes, John, we mm-hmm. have been just mystified and entranced by your trivia. And I am absolutely certain that that is going to be exactly the same for season six, episodes one and two. Well, you know, I will try not to disappoint either of you or our audience. So uh, so here we go. Trivia for today's episode. Now, uh, of course, we have the three story segments and uh, Venetian love song and the arrangement uh, was written by Mike Marmer. And we're still early in Mike's tenure with the love boat. We covered all three of his season five episodes, uh, including Burl of My Dreams. Back back to a go. Look, I had to do a gopher <laughs> call out there. Awesome. Um, awesome. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know me. And uh, he'll have 30 more credits before wrapping up in the ninth season. Down for the Count, written by Tony Webster. Tony, of course, goes way back uh, with shows like Phil Silver's Red Skelton and Car 54. He wraps up his professional career on the love boat with a full 60 credits. And we will catch up with him again throughout the next two seasons. Finally, Arrivederci Gopher. Uh, that is by Sid Morrison. You probably remember that Sid wrote a lot of kid-friendly shows going back to the 50s, like Rin Tin Tin, and then later shows like Scooby-Doo and The Secrets of Isis. We've already covered most of his work on The Love Boat, uh, mostly as a story editor, but occasional writer, uh, like he was with one of our favorites, Jealousy where Vicky had to reconcile the idea that her father would be attracted to women romantically 
and that might take his attention off his daughter. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, that would have affected all three of us, I think. You know? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, today's episode, both parts directed by Richard Kinnan. And hey, look, it's one of our longtime favorites on this show and a workhorse of the industry all the way back to the Playhouse days of the 1950s. Richard, you'll recall, directed one of the Love Boat pilot movies. And then we started our coverage with him way back in the first episode with the segment Centerfold with one of our returning guests today. Full circle. I know, right? <laughs> we're uh, uh, now we are breaking a little with tradition, though. So now, normally, we all know that each of the three segments has its own director. But usually, when an episode has just one director, it's for the whole show, and it's usually Richard's name in the credits, as it is here. They do that when you have like a big location shoot or or things that are tied together a little more tightly than the usual three parter. Uh, this two-part episode falls squarely in the middle of Richard's 64-episode run with The Love Boat. Yeah, well done. Now, uh, both parts of this episode aired back-to-back on October 2nd, 1982. They opened the season up against a new episode of Give Me a Break and Love, Sydney on NBC, while CBS aired the movie Not Just Another Affair, but (laughs) come on. Who are we kidding? The ratings juggernaut of the love boat could not be stopped, and it won the night for ABC for the whole week. The show came up at a very respectable seventh place. Sorry, TJ Hooker, you were not even in the top 30. I, I'm stunned. I'm stunned yeah. that TJ Hooker fell that low because I'm I'm sure I would have watched it before the love boat. Yeah, <laughs> well, well and, and you could have. You yeah. could have, but when you when you add it all up over the week, sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, over the years, we have seen the Pacific Princess in a variety of new locations, like Alaska and the Caribbean, and we've definitely seen our share of two parters. Dan, I I still don't think you are actually over the season four wedding a thon that we had to go through. That was uh, well, torture. You know, why are you bringing that up? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I won't. Yeah. Uh, Never to be spoken of again. Uh, But now, now, hey, we've got something exciting and new, a new location, Italy, and a new ship. Hey, guys, you know, I love my Pacific Princess. I know Mm -hmm. you do, too. We might part ways here, but we are introduced to a different ship, and we really need to get it right on this podcast since the TV listings and other trivia sources Get it wrong. They keep referring to Pacific Princess in this episode. And no, I'm sorry. We get to meet Stella Solaris. Built in 1949, the Stella Solaris was originally the Cambodge, a French ocean liner for a France to Asia route, starting with her maiden voyage in 1953. That part of her career ended in 1971, and she was converted to a cruise ship by 1973, to start life as the Stella Solaris with routes to the Aegean and the Mediterranean, occasionally long hauls across the Atlantic. She's about 545 feet long, weighed in about 10 and a half thousand tons. When she was an ocean liner, the Cambodge, get this, had a passenger capacity of 347. As a cruise ship, that capacity more than doubled to 765. <laughs> Can you imagine like, just cramming them in like sardines, right? Oh, my God. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and just as a fun means of comparison, you know, our uh, beloved Pacific Princess built in 1971, also about 550 feet long, uh, with a gross tonnage of just under 20,000 and a passenger capacity of 626. So in the same neighborhood, you know. And uh, hey, what's up with Gopher's hands? Mm. Uh, Dan, I'm glad that you pointed this out to me because it is a great piece of trivia. Fred Grandy didn't actually have poison ivy. But there was a reason you see him bandaged in this episode. Uh, bizarrely, he was in a freak accident in Turkey in which a hydrogen balloon in a taxi exploded and injured him along with three other people. Hydrogen is dangerous stuff, kids. Stick to helium. Guys, you know what it's all about. It's all about the guest stars. Let's knock through some of those here real quick. We already know Screen legends Ernest Borgnine and Shelley Winters, who appeared together in 1972 in the Poseidon Adventure, one of my all-time favorite movies. That, that is my yep. that's my New Year's Eve movie. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. That. That. yeah. I don't know if you know this, but if you start it at exactly the right time, I think you start at like 11:23. Then by the time they're saying Happy New Year in the movie, then it is midnight where oh, you yeah. are. So yeah, <laughs> so you got to do that next time. Um, this is a first and only Love Boat outing for both Shelley Winters and Ernest Borgnine. Uh, joining them as also first and only is uh, Candace Azara, known for a few feature films like Catch Me If You Can and Fatso. She plays their daughter, Carmen Roselli. You probably already know that David Burney was married to Meredith Baxter at the time of this episode. They had met when working together on the 1972 sitcom Bridget Loves Burney. We also got John James, mostly known for nighttime soaps like Dynasty and the Colbys. He is, he is here playing the amorous Roberto Denardi. And in her only Love Boat appearance, we welcome Marie Osmond, famous for a music and variety career. And uh, well, just uh, honestly, for being an Osmond, mm -hmm. got that going for you. And finally, in her third out of four appearances, Christopher Norris plays Gopher's girlfriend, Angelica. You may have caught her in the feature film Airport 75 or the Roger Corman, Ron Howard vehicle, Eat My Dust. She also has a great career as a TV guest star. And you know what? I feel good about her future with Gopher. I cannot wait to see how that plays out. She was also on one of my parents' favorite shows at the time, Tra Trapper John MD. Trapper John. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good show. I, I forgot yeah, all about Christopher Norris. And man, she is really great in this episode against. Uh, she is. Yeah. She is. And, and you know what? I, I really respect like uh, a woman with like a cool guy's name. Yeah. Yes. You know, so that's for Norris. Michael yeah. Burnham. Yeah. Right. right? <laughs> exactly. Gotta throw Star Trek in there every once in a while. Yeah, we have to. You're obligated contractually. Yeah. Star Trek. What's that? The crew of the Pacific Princess has been summoned back from vacation a week early, but no one knows why. Doc, Gopher, Julie, Isaac, and Vicky notice that the ship is still under renovations, getting a fresh coat of paint and the like. She's not ready to sail, so why are they there? Oh, and Gopher arrives wearing gloves because he's encountered poison ivy. Hmm, I wonder why that's important. Captain Steubing tells them that they'll be crewing the Stella Solaris and cruising to Monaco, Capri, which I think is kind of like Capri, 
Rome, and Venice. Oh, and they're leaving now. I mean, who needs to prepare? These people are professionals, right? Cue the B-roll of a now-defunct airline to roll the episode credits. First aboard the Stella are the Roselli family, and hey, do they have some stuff going on. Teresa and Dominic are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. These two look like they've cruised before, but this is a morning after, and as we all know, there's got to be one. Their daughter Fran, she's newly divorced. Their other daughter Carmen, who isn't married and never has been. And their granddaughter Maria, who's due to meet the fiancé she's been arranged to marry. Because that still happens in the 20th century, am I right? Dominic and Teresa trade barbs, but they seem to provide cover for a deeper rift between the two. More about that later. Almost instantly, Maria gets chatted up by a rather good-looking Italian guy, and Carmen isn't having any of that. She whisks Maria away in her ratherly overprotective way. Fran is looking for her friend Helen, who was supposed to see them off, but Julie delivers the news that Helen couldn't make it and hands Fran a telegram. That's a piece of paper that somebody sent from another place. Helen has a surprise in store for Fran when she gets to Monaco, and Fran is very suspicious. At the gangway, Gopher comes to the aid of an Italian damsel in financial distress and rescues her from a cab driver. Her name is Angelica, and there seems to be a connection between the two of them almost straight away. Angelica tells Gopher that he reminds her very much of someone. Maybe he has Italian relations. It's probably nothing. I mean, this isn't ever going to come up again. Once at sea, smooth Italian guy comes up to say hi to Maria again. He introduces himself as Roberto Dinardi, and once again, Aunt Carmen swoops in to intercede. Roberto gets the hint and he leaves. Carmen tells Maria she needs to keep her focus on Enzo Carducci, her arranged fiancé and someone whom Maria has never met. Maria hates the idea of an arranged marriage, but it's the only way to unite the clans and retain the Iron Throne. Oh, wait, that's the wrong show. Life was so much easier for Maria when she was going coconuts. Oh, and Dominic and Teresa, still bickering. Still. They resolve that maybe instead of celebrating their 50th anniversary, they should celebrate a divorce instead. Teresa has had enough of no romance, no flowers, and not even a song. I mean, Dominic is Italian, and they all sing, right? The Love Boat would never stereotype a nationality based on portrayals in film and television, would they? Divorce it is. Now to break it to the kids. Angelica and Gopher are really hitting it off, and the crew takes notice. Gopher is also skipping dinner at the captain's table to chat with Angelica over moonlight by the rail. Angelica promises to take Gopher to her parents in Monaco because her mama is the best cook in all of the world. As dinner breaks up at the Roselli table, Roberto comes over to say hello to Maria and Aunt Carmen. Carmen lets him know that Maria is getting married in Venice and that it's already prearranged. Roberto tells them they have nothing to worry about, and he respects Italian tradition. But he also gives a subtle wink to Maria when Auntie isn't looking. In Monaco, Fran arrives at the Hotel de Paris and meets, well, it's Enrico Palazzo! Oh no, wait, that's Count Paolo. Fran is surprised at how young he is, and these two, I don't know what it is. I mean, it just they just seem like they've been together before. Maybe? Paolo is ready to whine and dine and, well, this is a PG show, guys. Come on. 
Carmen and Maria are shopping, and who is watching Maria try on scarves but Roberto? Carmen loves each scarf that Maria tries, but Roberto is like, eh, it's a nada de Radawana. Carmen totally hates the last one she tries on, but of course Roberto loves the selection. Carmen finally notices that Roberto is watching, and once again, she conducts Maria away. Gopher and Angelica are strolling arm in arm when Gopher finds himself outside a huge villa. Yep, it's Angelica's mom's house. Angelica might have needed a financial rescue in Rome, but her family is rolling in it. In fact, this is just their summer pad. Angelica invites him in, and they walk past a gardener who, wait a second, he looks like Gopher, but with a really bad mustache. It's a good thing we can tell them apart. I can't wait to hear how authentic his accent sounds. Let's check in on Dominic and Teresa. Yep, still bickering. Still. Fran wraps up her date with, is that Prince Ranier? Oh, no, wait. That's just Count Paolo. Right. Paolo has some business he must attend to, and then he's got to return to Capri, but he wants to see her again. It's totally convenient that he's going to be at another of this cruise's ports of call, right? But he wants her to be his guest of honor at a party at his villa, so she agrees. As Fran departs, Paolo is approached by an older gentleman who asks if he did a good job with that one. Paolo says yes, and the man says that their friend paid top fee. Paolo asks rhetorically if he's ever had any complaints with his services, and the man says he always worries about his top escorts. He doesn't want them to become personally involved with a client and leave him and... Wait, Paolo is a gigolo? What in the Richard gear is going on here? Gopher and Angelica leave her mom's house under the watchful eye of the gardener, whom for now we'll call Mirror Gopher. Mirror Gopher doesn't like to see Prime Gopher with Angelica at all. Welcome to Capri, or as the rest of us call it, Capri. Dominic and Teresa are at a restaurant where Teresa wants to tell the kids about the divorce. Dominic's on board with that, but he wants her to tell them. Fran arrives at the villa and, hey, it's a Father Guido Sarducci. Oh, no, wait, that's Paolo the male hooker. My bad, everyone. Turns out Fran is the only guest at this party. And this villa isn't even a villa at all. It's a museum. Paolo walks her around the grounds and finally reveals his secret to her that he's an escort hired by her friend Helen. Fran is upset, embarrassed, and feels incredibly hurt. She storms away, leaving Paolo behind. Gopher is waiting for Angelica when he's summoned from a doorway asking him to come over. Turns out, it's Mirror Gopher and he puts the bag on Prime Gopher literally. He's been abducted by Mirror Gopher, who intends to assume his identity. Mirror Gopher shaves off his hideous mustache and takes Gopher's uniform and gloves. Mirror Gopher's name is actually Guido Calamara. See, I knew there was a Guido involved here somewhere. He's known Angelica since childhood, and he's loved her ever since. He's going to take Gopher's place aboard the Stella to win her back. Roberto and Maria have ditched Aunt Carmen and are taking in the sights. Roberto gives Maria a pin to wear, from his heart to hers, and they kiss. Aunt Carmen is not gonna like this. Guido heads back to the ship with Doc and Isaac, and Prime Gopher is still tied up in an apartment in Capri, bringing part one to a close. Best cliffhanger ever. Part two. 
Carmen is really upset that Maria and Roberto ditched her, and Maria isn't all that upset. Carmen wants Maria to think of the family, but Maria doesn't want to get married to Enzo. But she knows she has to tell Roberto, though, and that makes her sad. Dominic and Teresa are weary of pretending, and they know they have to tell the kids about the divorce. What better time to do that than at dinner? They unload the secret, and it goes over so well. Carmen and Fran are beside themselves, and they say, what about the church? The church won't like the idea of a divorce, so Teresa suggests an annulment, so they were never married at all. Trip of a lifetime. Roberto wonders why Maria is being so cold, and she says she doesn't love him. She's thought about it, and she's going to marry Enzo Carducci to unite the houses and reign King's Landing. Wait, sorry, still the wrong show. My bad, everyone. Roberto tells her that his heart goes on with her, and he leaves. Maria still loves him, though. Guido, still masquerading as gopher, runs into the captain along with Angelica. The captain is impressed at Fofer's accent. (laughs) Fofer, how did I not think of that 10 minutes ago? Still, the captain knows something isn't right with Gopher. Meanwhile, back in Capri, Prime Gopher is escaping his bounds and gets out of the apartment in his underwear. He knows he's got to get to Rome to meet the ship as soon as he can. Speaking of Rome, Maria and Carmen are at Trevi Fountain and Roberto appears. Big shock. He knows she didn't mean that he should stay away. He pulls her in and plants one on her. Roberto offers to show Carmen and Maria the sights of Rome, and he lies to Carmen that he is totally cool with Maria marrying Enzo. Carmen's feet are killing her anyway, so she tells the crazy kids to go on without her, and absolutely no hanky-panky. Gopher begins to hitchhike and ultimately gets given a broken-down scooter to make his way to Rome. Fran departs the ship, and who does she meet? It's a Pope! Oh, wait, sorry. That's not the Pope. That's Paolo the Hooker. This guy is everywhere. He wants to know why Fran hates him for being what he is. You know, a hooker. He wants her to change her mind, and if she doesn't, he'll have to give back the money to his employers. That's the way to win her over, Paolo. Great job. He offers to show her Rome, and she caves in and goes with him. Guido strolls through Rome with Angelica, still masquerading as Fofer. He talks about how as a child he always dreamt that castle across the way would be his home with his wife, and that makes Angelica melt. Fofer kisses her, and they continue on their sightseeing tour. Teresa and Dominic have a blowout. She complains that back in the day he sold her wedding dress, and he says he did, to buy clothes to baptize their first baby. Teresa feels that he never respected what was important to her, and Dominic was just trying to do the best he could. He finally does try to buy her flowers, and she wants nothing to do with it. She gets in a horse-driven carriage and leaves Dominic alone with his flowers. Dominic knows he's made a mistake, but what to do? Paolo and Fran are sitting at a cafe, and they finally kiss, much to the chagrin of Paolo's employer. Seems Paolo wasn't supposed to spend the entire day with Fran because the meter stopped running at noon. Fran gets upset and leaves. Paolo gets upset and quits his job. As a hooker. How does that happen? I mean, do you pass papers at the Gigolo Union or something? Gopher finally makes it back aboard the Stella. He looks like he's a wreck and he tells everyone he's been kidnapped as Fofer walks in. How will anyone ever tell them apart? 
Captain Steubing asks where his report is, and he knows that Fofer is lying when he says it's on his desk. Aha! Gopher would never have remembered to do that report. He'd have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for those meddling kids. Steubing has Guido thrown off the ship, and Angelica realizes she should have known. This doesn't make Gopher feel all that good. Angelica is fond of Gopher, but her heart may be with Guido. Ah, Venice. I get the feeling we're going to wrap up some stories on this final port of call. Carmen and Maria talk. Maria decided that she's not marrying Enzo. Carmen tells her that she was in love once and she had to give him up because her family wanted her to. She realizes that she's been alone and she doesn't want Maria to fall into that same trap. She tells her to go to Roberto and to forget the family and the arrangement, and Maria does just that. Julie and Fran walk St. Mark's Square, and who shows up? It's Francesco Rinaldi! Oh, no, wait, that's a spaghetti sauce. It's Paolo, the former hooker! Again. This guy really gets around in more ways than one, right? Well, he's here this time because he loves Fran, and as it turns out, Fran loves him. He tells her that he's going to quit being a gigolo when he's free now. He did it because he loves her and he wants her to be proud of him. Gopher brings Angelica to a surprise, where he brings her to meet Guido, who apparently cleans up pretty nice. Gopher and Angelica hug, and she goes to be with her childhood sweetheart as they walk off into the streets of Venice. Maria finds Roberto by the canals, and it turns out that he was Enzo Carducci all along. He took the cruise under an assumed name to see who he was marrying, and... Well, all's well that ends well, am I right? Dominic and Teresa realize they were meant to be together all along. Dominic shows up in a gondola and even sings to Teresa, rekindling the fires of love. I guess they'll spend the next 50 years discovering love, exciting and new, and all that stuff. The crew meets up in St. Mark's Square to head home to Los Angeles and the Pacific Princess, but not before a family photo complete with pigeons and everything. Fine. That's the end in Italian. Bill, look, a fabulous recap, as always. You always knock it out of the park with that. And I'm impressed that you got that recap down as short as you did, because I I think, Dan, you spent longer on a single episode recap when the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders were on. That, I that had a was, lot of adjectives. You did. <laughs> you did. You did. And there was a lot of, yeah, just heavy descriptive, like, you know. Yeah. So I get that. I get that. Um, uh, It helped that they spent at least a quarter of this episode as a travelogue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it's uh, plus, I mean, any time, you know, you get a chance to go through these stories. I I thought that maybe for the episode, you know, that we're doing tonight, number 200, I do something a little different and do each story as its own compacted recap. You had to. Yeah. Yeah. The further I went on, I was going to try to do them individually as story tracks. And I just, it, it was a mess. It was yeah. hard to follow. And, and doing it in line with the episode chronologically ultimately turned out easier. So um, I just, I, it was a lot of fun, um, even if the episode may not have been in some parts, but more about that in a bit. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, my hat's off to you because, you know, my memory's not good. I have to watch these things three or four times in order to make sure I'm on my game for when we record. Sure. And I got to say, I think I have more fun listening to your recap than I did the last two or three times that I was actually watching the two episodes. <laughs> that goes without question. Well, yeah. And yeah. I haven't done a recap since episode 180 because you guys remember I went off on that, that long? three week long Mediterranean cruise. Yeah, right. You, you were gone a long time. And which, yeah. of course, involved the island of Capri. Uh, Capri? 
Uh, no, Capri. Totally Capri. Different. Capri. different yeah. Okay. All right. I'm thinking about the one where the sun comes from. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah those little juice boxes. Yeah. 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 Wow. So many, so many things that you hit uh, in this premiere, dude. But uh, we're going to have more on the amazing or non-amazing, depending on who you are in this panel, season six premiere coming up in a moment. But first, oh, but first, a word from our presenting sponsor, Norms, Discount Swords in Reseda. Are you looking for the right sword for the right occasion? Perhaps a dagger or maybe even a rapier? Well, whatever your bladed needs, you can be sure that Norms, Discount Swords has just the blade for you. Hey, guys, you know what you call a sword that doesn't weigh very much? I'm afraid to ask, but no, what, Bill? A lightsaber. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Well, since 2016, Norm has operated his one and only discount sword shop in Reseda right on Van Owen, and he's provided the type of shopping experience that you can trust. Dare I say he's the perfect foil for all your fencing needs? Uh, actually, Bill, no, I don't think you should actually ever say that again like ever but anyway not only can you get the finest swords in the san fernando valley you can also get a fantastic discount just for listening to this podcast stop into norm's discount swords and mention lido deck today and you're going to get a special 15 percent off your entire purchase norm's discount swords the cutting edge technology and we thank norm and his swords for being the presenting sponsor of lido deck and the rumpus room podcast network Gentlemen, 200 episodes, we made it, and we've just got a, a, a big two-parter to cover here. So much has changed with the Love Boat over the years. I, I feel like you know, there's one way to tackle this, which is the episode itself. There's also the changes along season to season that we've witnessed that have kind of culminated here. And then we've got, of course, a little bit of reflection about our time doing the Lido deck. So... Um, I'm just going to dive right in. And uh, first things first, the opening of this episode. Can we just get, can we just imagine here for a moment how hilarious and bizarre this would be in real life? So imagine, imagine you show up for work and, and your boss is like, no, 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 no. Today, your job is in another country. And then then you don't pack any bags. You, you just exit a limo in freaking Italy. And it's just you and five of your closest workmates. There's 300 other crewmen who showed up for work asking, where's the captain? And why aren't we going anywhere? And why is the bartender with him? There were no qualified crews in the Italian merchant marine at the time. This, this TV logic, look, we suspend a lot of disbelief, but this was just bizarre. John, you should know by now. I'm a little disappointed in you right here. Okay. Only a serious cruiser brings his own bartender. Oh, oh God. Okay. All right. Good so point. that one I let slide. Yeah. Yeah. That that way that is yeah. a good point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's kind of tough, you know, when you're dealing with all those liquors that end in an eye. And and uh, let's yeah. face it, Isaac is a he's a Renaissance man. He's a mixed master. Um, you want Isaac on that ship. To be honest, oh, see, look, you, Isaac you, on that ship. Yeah, yeah. You, you want Isaac, you need Isaac. What I don't get is like also a serious cruiser. I'm going to need six suitcases for a two week trip. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. So and it is literally this like here. We're just going to walk up like nobody's got a toothbrush on them. I don't know. 
They they just they suddenly they're on a plane and then they're in Italy getting out of a limo. Wait, wait, not even getting out of a limo. They just show up and Captain Subing just sees a limo and is like, yes, my crew, <laughs> we're all going to the port. Okay. Well, let now me follow- actually oh, go ahead. Let Dan. me actually break in for just a quick second because you brought it up, John. I want to make sure I don't forget because mm-hmm. I know of your passion for airlines and yes. how amazing was it as we're here recording in 2000 in 2021 seeing yeah. a TWA 747 at the beginning of this premiere that episode. was some good footage oh. of that TWA ship I oh yes love that love that absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful so our crew boards the Stella Solaris where Rome because that's right, where Leonardo right. da Vinci airport is yeah. then they go to Monte Carlo Capri, yes all the way back to Rome, right? Then to Venice. But <laughs> were they headed to Rome again for the disembarkation? Because most cruises end where they start, so that you know you can, um, you know, like pick up your car if you drove there or or whatever. Um, yeah. I had this question the entire two episodes. I'm like, wait a second, why are they starting in Rome? You know why, Bill? <laughs> no, because Captain Steubing can do whatever he wants. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's why. <laughs> There is something strange about that, because like in Southern California, you can pick up crews from any of the L.A. ports like Long Beach or San Pedro. And then they do these really close by very insignificant stops like Catalina. You can get to in less than an hour on the ferry, but they take a whole day to get there just doing circles out in the ocean. Right. Or you go to Santa Barbara and you can drive there in two hours. Right. (laughs) But they just they'll go back and forth. But but to me, it's like, okay. Uh, one day we're going to go to Catalina, where then we come back to Port L.A., then, then we go to Ensenada. Then we, it makes no sense. And what I love is all the guest stars just following along. Like They hopped in their cars and like, no, 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 I, I'm stalking the people on this ship. I'm just going to go to the next port and the next one and the next one. Mm-hmm. Like they're next door to each other. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> right. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that gets me about this episode is that the series regulars are hardly in it. You know, Fred Grandy has plenty to do as both gopher and fofer. Sure. Um, fofer. Fofer. That, that's good. Love it. You know, but the other cast members are almost non-existent. I feel like they threw in some of these scenes with Isaac and Julian Doc out of contractual obligation. I mean, yeah. I get that the guest stars do a lot of the heavy lifting on shows like this of this era, but this is a season premiere and Love Boat is typically, as we've noticed, had much more uh, balance with this kind of thing in the past. Well, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, that's one of the things that I kind of had a problem with. And and I think mm. the person who suffered the most was Isaac. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. You never you never saw him at a bar, if memory serves. He was nope. never bartending this entire episode. He was right. standing on a dock waiting for Gopher Fofer to show up. And, and, and it was disappointing for me, I thought. I mean, if all of, you're absolutely right. I think I think out of everyone, I think maybe Julie had the most. Uh, uh, on-screen time with with her relationship with uh, uh, Meredith Baxter's character, yeah. um, but it was disappointing to see you would you know we're used to season premieres where we get the characters that we love, and I understand like mm-hmm. you just said, Bill. You know the guest stars are the big thing on the Love Boat, but it was it was a disappointment for me. I don't know, but what do you think, John? Yeah, it's a bit of a trade-off. I mean, like we noticed right away from season one and especially uh, hitting their stride in season two. Yeah. Oh, look, the audience wants more of our core cast. We we really invested in their relationships and what happens when new people come on board. So we we get those 
great nuggets of stories with them, right? You, know, you get you get uh, Julie's family visiting, and uh, you know, of course, introducing Vicky into the show. Like, oh my god, what a revelation! Like here, we really get in depth with uh, with Captain Steubing. So in an episode like this, I kind of look at it as well. It, it, it's a trade off. So for the actors, like we always love it when they do location shooting. And you can tell, yeah. like they they kick off the season. They've done a lot of location shooting. You save a bit of that B roll to you know parcel out during the season. Then they do a little bit more, and you get some more location stuff. So for the actors, they're like, "This is great! I get to go to Italy for a couple of weeks. I'm going to wander around for hey, look for Ted Lang. Awesome! He gets to just go hang out and do practically nothing. Probably right. had two days." on set right yeah um but for for us yeah for the viewing audience it's like how much more do we need of these other characters that we really we're, we're finding a difficult time caring about you know yeah and yeah. and were there no actual italians in sag or after at the t- at this point in the 1980s i mean because <laughs> I, I get it they wanted people to sound like they were from italy but I mean, let's be honest here. John Ooh. James' accent is dreadful, as yeah. is David Bernie's. Yeah. However, Ernie Borgnine, whom I love and and uh, revere and adore, is by far the most stereotypical and head and shoulders the most over the top. I, it Oof. it's embarrassing, honestly. Yeah, yeah. That that's yeah. No, go ahead, Dan. I actually find Peter Griffin impersonating an Italian <laughs> in Family Guy with Papi Boopy better. Than what we saw in this episode, and that's really got to be saying something. I mean, that's the, the I was sitting there, I was like, "Oh my god, this is just unbelievable!" And as this is kind of weird to say, as stereotypical and over the top as as Ernie's was, his was the best, and that's got to be telling mm. you, at least for me, that's going to be telling you something because they were so bad. But but I, yeah. I think it's a good point. What was going on back in the eighties? Where's yeah. Al Pacino when you need him? All right, <laughs> making money. Yeah, <laughs> but but it is so strange to to decide to call in these actors. And look, Love Boat does a great job of doing a pairing of people that we expect to see together, we like to see together, but just changing the context a little bit. Like, okay, I don't want to break the timeline. I know that we don't do that on this show, but yep. you know, very soon, eventually, we're going to get to that moment of Robert Reed and Florence Henderson on the Love Boat seeing each other. You know, giving them that I will probably get asked back on Very Brady podcast to dive into that one. So we love seeing stuff like that. Yep. And here we have Ernie Borgnine, Shelley Winters, and I, I can only keep them in my head from Poseidon Adventure when I see them together. Mm-hmm. They were not a couple in that movie. And I have to say, in this episode, I just kept rooting for their divorce. Like <laughs> that's that that would have <laughs> saved this episode for me. Much yeah. like the Poseidon Adventure, I was rooting for the ship to sink. <laughs> um but I mean they have really no chemistry together. There is no. zero chemistry between Marie Osmond and John James. And I, I I understand now why Meredith Baxter Burney and David Burney are divorced because apparently (laughs) there was no chemistry there either. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's funny that you bring this up. I'm going to bring it up now because we're talking about the characters. I got to say, you guys know that I've had issues with some of the, some of the guest stars on the boat, but I now have to say that my most air quotes hated special guest on the love boat 
is Shelly Winters as Teresa Rosselli. Whoa, that, okay. I, you're, wow. you're dropping a bomb and here. This I am is, dropping a bomb yeah. because okay. it used to be Red Buttons, also from the Poseidon Adventure, which yeah. is kind of ironic. Yeah, when you think yeah, yeah. It. Um, it's got to be saying a lot because he was a disgusting sleazebag and he dared to assault Julie, our beloved Julie. Yeah, you, you do not guys, do that to our Julie. No. Okay. And all yeah, the guys yeah. were just making excuses for him. It was awful. Yeah. I never thought I would. Yeah. I, I actually was thinking about not even doing any more of the show after that because I was just like completely disgusted. Wow. I thought yeah. it was just awful. But yeah, she is horrendous <laughs> in this episode. I'm sorry. Her voice was decalcifying my spinal column in every scene because she didn't talk. She's always yelling. And oh, my God, yeah. it was awful. And and if I was Ernest Borgnine, I would have divorced her 49 years ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll see. It is, you know, if we put on our love boat riders caps, which we could do, and you, you go to that scene where they finally decide at the captain's table, you know, they've got the cake and everything. Oh, we're getting a divorce. And, you know, I'm sorry, my accent was better than theirs just now. Yeah. And it was awful. OK, that everybody in the room should have just looked at each other and then gone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Please. Cool. Long enough to decide this. Yeah. We'll just move along with the vacation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, you know, I'm the guy who loves the, the, the cheer, the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders and, but seeing sure. this episode and, and we'll get into Marie Osmond later because I think I'm going to have a differing opinion than you guys about Marie, but okay. Um, watching Shelly Winters and, and, and that whole thing made me long for the days of Charo. And, uh, oh my God, Charo! And, and Charo is amazing. Yeah, Audrey Landers. Yes, Catherine yes. Bach. Please. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So that's that's where I'm sitting about this whole thing. Yeah, I, Dan, you bring up a good point with red buttons, and this for me brings in some headcanon, because now mm. I think that red buttons is responsible for Julie making the horrendous decision to go from regular hair color pixie cut Julie to long. Oh. Oh. Julie, that we get in the season six premiere. See, I, I knew like. this was going to come up. Yeah, I, yeah. This is a okay. very divisive thing amongst Love Boat fans. Yeah, well, uh, well look, I mean, we we saw like a, a sort of a minor progression. Like you go from season one yep. Julie to season two Julie, the color is the same, but you get maybe just like a little more body. Yeah, and, and it's like, hey, 1978 is soon going to become 1979. This is, you know, there are changes in store and we get that. And they kind of glammed her up a little bit. She's still our girl next door. Absolutely. But we're just going to glam her up a little bit. Uh, but then as the 80s come our way, then it's like, OK, wait, now it's getting very full. And the guest stars were competing with a lot of very full 80s hair. But now it's just all blonde all the time with right. that fullness. And it's yeah. like, what what happened to our Julie? Yeah. That's exactly how I felt. So now I'm mm-hmm. going to blame that on red buttons for those I people like who are definitely, you know, season one hair, Julia, or earlier oh, than my... season six, um, oh, wow. because he was that traumatizing. He was. Yeah, he I'm was still traumatized. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that, that was true. And, and look, Dan, I mean, I, I can't disagree with you. There's a lot of guest stars that I dislike. I mean, you you know that. I pretty much always tune out whenever we get an episode where it's like the kids romance and especially with Scott Bayo just on principle, <laughs> Yep, you know, uh, I, yeah. I just, I, I don't care for those episodes. Um, but, but my disgust at, uh, at, at taking it out on Julie that way. And again, just like, like the guys not coming to her defense immediately, yeah. like believing her saying, no, we're, we're, yep. we're going to take care of this for you. They had to turn it into comedy where Gopher shows up in drag. And look, I, I don't want to relive the past here, yep. but mm-hmm. 
This is, you know, we're talking about major turning points in the show. Well, yeah. you bring up a good point because throughout the run of Leader Deck, we've talked about the sexism that existed right. during of, that of time and how it was present course. on screen. The yeah. worst moment of these two episodes for me belongs to Aunt Carmen. Uh, everyone oh. has found love as people do on the love boat, except for her. What does she get? She gets yeah. goosed by some Italian guy in St. Mark's yep. Square. It's almost no like, hey, let's have one little dose of sexism just to remind people what the deal is. Yeah. It's yeah. it's not good. I mean, it's it's emblematic of the fact that we, uh, that men were writing these love stories Absolutely. and these relationships and not relating to how things actually work in a relationship. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I feel like there's always a point in our conversations when it is uh, a kind of a controversial or maybe it's like a dated element of the love Very. boat where it's mm -hmm. suddenly time to talk about, okay, the sexual politics of the love boat, but also of the time, you know, and, and this is one of those episodes where I look at it and go like, okay, Love Boat can sometimes be a very liberal, progressive show when it comes to those sexual, social issues. And other times you can tell they're just playing this much more conservative. And I'm saying these, you know, it's lowercase L liberal, lowercase C conservative. Mm -hmm. yep. Please, no letters. We, we get them all the time. Yep. Um, but, but just to kind of like please the primetime crowd at home. And and the the two extremes in this episode, you have the contrasting stories of the gigolo. By the way, you know, not the first time on the love boat, and, right. and that nope. first time that we saw ended happily too. Mm -hmm. They're just like, yeah. okay, he's the gigolo, cool, and he's going to have this new relationship, fine, you know. And uh, but the arranged marriage yeah. just seems completely out of date, even yeah. by the standards of when this episode was made. And Aunt Carmen, oh, awful selfish. Uh, I, so I guess what I'm saying, the perfect fit for this insufferable family. Um, but yeah. uh, look, Marie Osmond, just get out, go back to Salt Lake. <laughs> it's it's yeah. inter Oh, okay. Well, see, now, you're gonna, now we got to talk. Okay. Okay. I'm going to be 100% honest. When okay. I was growing up, I loved her so much. I watched the Osmonds. I, I loved her. Now, today and in, in 2021, I still love seeing her on the Weight Watchers commercials. I mean, she looks sure. the same as she did back then because, you know, Weight Watchers. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I liked her in this. I, I, yeah. I mean, she, she can't act. Uh, we, yeah. I think we all know that. I mean, you know, if she was on stage singing a song, it would probably be good. I'd rather watch her singing um, than maybe Charo singing the Love Boat theme. But but that's a story for another time. Um, I I I loved her character. I could stare into those eyes forever. I'm going to be uh, honest. Sweet, yeah. gorgeous, yeah. adorable. approach. Like there's so much to like about her. I totally yeah. agree. She's too good for that family. She is way yeah. too good. Yeah. You're, you're, you're looking at and I, I got to say. If you're, if I'm car, if I'm, well, if I'm not Carmen, but how could any human being, this is just the way that we were brought up and basically how you've made us so wonderful here on this podcast, John, you, mm. I would never be able to talk to a total stranger the way that she talks to Roberto. I oh, mean, sure. So, yeah. It's just, it's, 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 it makes me physically uncomfortable watching those scenes where she puts herself in between the two of them Ugh. and says some flippant comment, um, 
about Enrico Palazzo and, and then they have to go off and, and, <laughs> and, and meet in secret. It's just, it was uncomfortable. But I, I just, it's, it's for me, it was sad that this was Marie's only appearance on a love boat because yeah. I really liked, I like I liked seeing, I was, I was pleasantly surprised to see her in those opening credits. Sure. I'm going to give the writers and the producers a lot of credit here, even though I wasn't a huge fan of Marie in this episode. Thank you in hindsight for not having that character bust out into a song in the showroom on the cruise ship just to say, <laughs> Oh, we've got Marie Osmond. We've got yes. Mm-hmm. Right. They, right. Let, they let Marie inhabit a character and, and go on this journey and not use her very obvious and exceptional musical talents. Yeah. Um, because in other episodes they have not made that choice. Oh, sure. Well, it's like when you, you know, you bring on a Denny Terrio and it's just like, oh, he's the guy who's dancing. Yep. It's like, oh, OK, well, but, but that doesn't really drive the plot any. Right. It's just like, oh, look, it, we're going to stop the show to have this moment. You I know? think of Isaac and the Pointer Sisters performing. He's so shy. R- uh, OK. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. You know. Exactly. It's, it's a great moment where in the show, it, it's a little cringeworthy because, of course, Ted Lang can't exactly sing the way the Pointer Sisters do. <laughs> right. um, yeah. But it, clearly they made a decision. Oh, we got the Pointer Sisters. They have to be able to sing. Yeah. Got it. Me, with you. By the way, you. I mean, oh, go, go ahead, Dan, please. I'm sorry. I just since we're on that topic, around, I just want to make yeah. I just want to see if I'm as if I'm as stupid as I think I am, which I'm sure Bill is going to say I am. Um, how far into these two episodes did you guys realize that Roberto was really Enzo? I, I mean, I think we had to know that right from the beginning. I didn't really, really understand that until like maybe three quarters of the way through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. Something's not lining up here. And, so yeah. they, they, they did their job. Yeah. <laughs> or it's just, I'm an idiot. I'm not really sure. Which. <laughs> well, I think that I think we're going to avoid getting into that for our, our <laughs> listeners because this is supposed to be a celebration <laughs> look i i do want to return to something really quickly here though uh it's, it's just been on my mind and and bill since you brought up uh isaac dancing and well singing with the pointer sisters um you, you know since we are looking back a little bit at the last six well full five seasons mm-hmm. uh the love boat and our last 200 episodes uh 199 200 today yay Woo-hoo. uh i know right um you know, I, to me, it was a big deal when Isaac, uh, when we go into season three and we get the new credits and we get double finger gun Isaac that, right. yeah, that, that was pretty special. You guys, do you still, uh, will you still argue the point with me or have you given it up yet that he debuted the double finger guns in season two dancing with Marilyn McCoo. Like she was on and they do a little song and dance number by the pool. And it's like, oh, wow, Isaac was cool. And he used to perform. And I was like, there it is. It's the double finger gun. Sure. It's like it's prototype, but it's still it's happening, you know, and you 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 really took me to task about that. Uh, We did. Um, You know, I'd like to think that episode 200 is about new frontiers and new horizons and moving forward. So John, okay. I'm going to give that to you. Oh, uh, all right. Look, we are turning over a new leaf That's here it. on I mean, Vito deck. Okay. You know, th- this is a time to celebrate. Um, yeah. you know, it made for some great discussion back then, but you know what? Uh, Isaac's two finger point has become mm-hmm. pop culture legend. I mean, people do it all the time. Anyone who's doing it now on television owes that move to Ted Lang. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and well, and it's like you get to go back and see like the Rosetta Stone of yes. that when you go back to the dancing with Marilyn McCoo. So it's like, oh, OK, you know, this is the the Sumerian, the Ur version of double finger guns. Absolutely. So I'm going to give it yeah. to you, buddy. Oh, man, it's uh, funny. So I feel good now. It, I feel like I'm going to get a little emotional and I apologize up front. I, I got to okay. agree with Bill, because if memory serves, that was the only time that you had to actually bleep me. In an yeah. episode of the Lido deck, it's because true. I was so yeah. aggravated by what you were saying. I'm like, that's ridiculous. You're right. In yeah. hindsight, this is the 200th episode. Like Bill said, I'll give it to you, man. I apologize. Um, oh, and I man. should learn by now when John champion points out something like that, when regards to the love with regards to the love boat, you don't, you don't disagree with him. You, yeah, you, I, well, you know, he's right. I mean, look, his look, attention to detail is goes without merit. Look, look we're, we're, we're all about friendly disagreement, friendly discussion here. We, our job, our mission is to understand the love boat and, right. and to celebrate it. Uh, when something like that comes along, it's like, you know, I, I look, maybe I get a little too excited. Maybe I was like, ooh, I, I discovered the Ark of the Covenant here, you know, and it, it, sure, maybe it's not that. But the double finger guns, it was like, oh, man, how many people saw that in 1978 and didn't realize, oh, it's going to come back and then it'll become signature then, you know, Absolutely, I didn't. So, uh, look, you're, you're both your stand up guys. Uh, I, I'm glad we had this moment. I really I respect you both. And uh, and I thank you. I think I'm going to sleep better tonight because we all uh, we had that moment. Yeah. Hey, hey, thank you. Thank you for doing that on camera for uh, for those who can't see it. Um, it, it. Look, while we're on the topic, just a little bit about some of those changes. We'll, we'll come back to this episode, too. But I just feel like we're on a roll here. We're talking about some mm -hmm. of the changes, some of the big moments. Um, you know, for us, it was a big deal. when We got the look at the camera and smile moment, which they experimented with in the middle of season one. And like some people just weren't having it. But by the time you get to season two, it's like, no, 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 you sign on to do this show that that's what you're in for. So like that right. was a huge change. And and I want to ask you sort of in the context now of this show, new ship, new location, new sets to deal with here. They, they redress some existing sets and we have some location set work. Um, I feel like, you know, watching the last five seasons when you've got changes to the dining room, changes to the Starlight Bar. I feel like very often it's that original like season one, season two that honestly looks the best. And then they're trying too hard a little later with the like the, the geometric kind of purple and pink patterns, making it so 80s before it's even the 80s. Uh, how do you guys feel about seeing the design work that we get here? I think one of the things that works for me in these two episodes in particular is the fact that it was more on location than it was on sound stages we've had with mm -hmm. previous Love Boat episodes. Yeah, okay, with some of these larger, you know, uh, different destination episodes, we get a little more of that. But it's so refreshing to see an actual conversation on deck on an actual cruise ship mm. than to mm -hmm. know it's happening uh, on the sound stage where the pool set is on the Pacific Princess. Right. Um, while I like the way that's lit, typically you can tell it's a soundstage. It's very obvious. Um, so I, I I appreciate the way they try to create the um, the the assumed reality um, on the sound stages for the Pacific Princess. But man, there's nothing like being on location, as you know. So for yeah. me, this this episode was just a feast in that regard. 
yeah. it distracted me, guys. Oh, really? It's something it's something I didn't really, really I didn't really care for. And maybe it's because oh. I'm used to those sound stages mm-hmm. and change is always, you know, change is something, you know, an old company might say change is inevitable. Use it to your advantage. I had a hard time with it with this one. Um, hmm. I, I it, it, and I don't know if it was just the production work was a little shoddy, but there was a couple of scenes. There was one scene in particular where they were showing the pool scene and there was this one couple um that they saw in the pool. One girl had like a black bikini or something all like that. And she was laying in a certain way or sitting up in a certain way. And then they went to another scene and then they were like going back to the other scene. It was the exact same scene again. Mm. So mm-hmm. stuff like that. I, I noticed things like that. And there were a couple of scenes that looked to me like it was um, a backdrop um, and not real. So they may have done some actual stuff on sound stages. Um, but for me, it, it, it I, you know, I'm a Pacific princess guy and I always will be. So being on a new ship is kind of exciting and, 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 and neat for some people. For me, it kind of took away from being the love boat to me. The love boat is a Pacific princess. And now we're on this other ship in Italy. And I would rather watch people falling in love uh, on a cruise uh, on, in the Pacific ocean than watch 45 minutes of re showing scenes of Italy in the Coliseum and birds flying by and all this stuff that we saw for so much of this episode than than most people. And, and, and let's face it, Ernest Borgnani and Shelley Winters yelling at each other. Oh, that, yeah, that, that kind of oh, yeah. tempers the whole. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're on a beach having a picnic and Ernie Borgnine staring at the bikinis walking by. And right. all they can do is argue. I'm like, you yep. were you were right there on the ocean. It's beautiful. Give me the bread yourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <sighs> it just took. I don't, and, and and John, you've always been a Pacific princess guy. Oh, I sure. Mean, we sure. all I know mean, your love for it. What would, what did, what did you think about it being on a new ship and in a new location? Look, I, I think Stella Solaris is a beautiful ship and has the classic lines of an, a true ocean liner. Like that, that's what's beautiful about that ship. And we, we got those nice location shots and, oh, look, that's the actual artwork on board the Stella Solaris. I think, Dan, what you're hitting on is, is something that's really important, though. For me, it wasn't so much the location because I like the location. I like getting to know this new ship. But what we keep coming back to is that this episode, there's not enough of our regular crew. And for me, home is our regular crew. If we'd had that much more investment, what's going on with Julie and Doc and the captain, then maybe, just maybe, I would have felt more endeared to everything that was going on. I think it's pretty evident that we all have kind of a similar feeling about this script for these two episodes, how there wasn't enough of our regulars. Yes. It's the love boat. Yes. People fall in love. It seems a little also ran is the message I think I'm getting from the two of you. Um, But ultimately it's, it's entertaining and we had fun watching it. Is that kind of where we're coming down? Yeah. I mean, you guys want to uh, skip on to the wrap up and uh, I do want to bring up one comment real quick. We do a quick wrap up and that's the whole gopher mm-hmm. storyline. Oh, yeah. And I guess my question and one of the things that I'm sitting there going, really? So this guy kidnapped gopher. He was tied up. He was impersonating gopher was going to leave him somewhere in Italy. And then when they find out that this imposter was on the ship and they're standing next to each other, all they do is kick him off the boat. He doesn't get arrested. He doesn't face kidnapping uh, or whatever charge you can think of. 
And I won't even get into the fact that later on, Gopher just gives the girl back to this guy anyway. So, but didn't you, that was something I found extremely frustrating in this episode is how they treated this person who committed felonies. Um, and, but it's the love boat, I guess. Dan, it, it makes me so angry. We would be here for another hour uh, picking that <laughs> apart. It, it really does. I mean, look, we we love our core cast and, and we want like we're pulling for Gopher. I'm pulling for Gopher to land the great girlfriend, uh, just like back when he met uh, Angelina Blenderman, played by uh, Joanna Pettit in yes. season four. Yep. Like, like we want that. We just want the one to stick for him or for Doc. You know, I felt good about Angelina. Love Christopher Norris in this, mm-hmm. but then they pull that switcheroo and try to mess with our loyalties, and and, and then the wrong person winds up with her in the end. I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I am Team Angelica Gopher here, and we yeah. cannot excuse the crimes that were committed by Fofer. Gophelica. Gophelica. I'm I'm Team Gopher and Angelica too, but. I, I have to respect what the writers did in doing the right thing for Gopher because they stayed true to who Gopher is. Um, Gopher is the good guy. Gopher is the guy who's always going to do the right thing, even though he's got integrity. Yeah, he, he's got integrity, even though it affects yeah. him personally. And what does he do? He hand delivers Angelica to Fofer. I'm sorry. I know it's Guido, yeah. but I mean, Fofer is, is, yeah. is much more entertaining. Yeah. Um, and because it's the right decision for Angelica. <laughs> And I think that that says more about Gopher than some of these other episodes where he's been more of a punchline. I think it adds a nice layer of texture to Gopher. And I think for me, it's probably the best development of the episode, even though it's the one I like the least. I don't know, man. We we might have to agree to disagree on this one in the end, because I I, I feel like, you know, Angelica fell in love with Gopher because of his integrity, because of his sweetness to her, because of all these reasons and she now had like we rewarded the guy who's the stalker. Yep. Right. You know, I agree. So, yeah, I mm. and I also didn't realize at first that it was a gopher lookalike when he was kind of like doing the flowers when they first got to the house. <laughs> I'm <laughs> slow. I'm sorry. I didn't realize it at first. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but but he, he was hidden so well behind that hideous mustache. <laughs> but, mustache. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, let's uh, let's wrap this up. We'll go to our final segment. Well, gentlemen, as we are often want to do, we probably should wrap things up because we could keep keep talking about the love boat uh, forever. It seems for at least as, as many seasons as the show went on. Um, how do we feel about this episode overall? And John, I guess we'll start with you. I mean, look, I, I think we're going to land in very similar places for this episode, if not the same. You know, I think there's a little bit of uh, contention here with some of the points, but uh, we can all agree on this. Sometimes the casting knocks it out of the park. I mean, we, we've talked about the guest stars that we love. Charo. I, I love seeing repeated Michelle Lee appearances in the same season. I know that if Barbie Benton is in the credits, I'm going to love that episode. The casting in this episode is problematic to say the least i I keep finding myself trying to play the home game to justify why the accents are all over the map like wait who who was born where and was somebody adopted and they live in the u.s at some point like it, it didn't make any sense in this mismatched dysfunctional family 
And why is Ernest Borgnine talking about the old country when they're in Italy? <laughs> no, like none of this makes sense at all. Sorry, but look, this is a season premiere. Casting had all summer to get it right, and they blew it. Um, the strength of the episode for me is that we get a new ship, we get a new location, um, and we provide a, just a little bit of focus on the regular characters, really just Gopher. You know, it's really about him. And look, it's not the high drama of Vicky drinking too much. Um, side note, you know, we we keep mm. asking Jill Whelan to uh, to discuss that episode and he'd keep reaching out on social media. Haven't, you know, in five years, haven't heard back. Uh, so, Jill, if you're hearing this, you know, we, we hope to arrange that interview sometime. It's an important moment in Love Boat history. Um, so we don't have that kind of drama. Gopher can carry an episode, as we see here. So this is not peak Love Boat, this episode. Uh, it, it doesn't even really work as a season opener, but it could have been a solid one-part episode in the holiday season where we want to change a pace. So this is just sort of mismanaged, this episode. Um, funny to me, you know, Faux Gophers, uh, Fofer's American accent suddenly is perfect at the end. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when, when you have the split screen, uh, that was yeah. just a weird choice. Um, Marie Osmond, so cute, but a total non-entity in this. So, so like, why is dude all over her except that she's the guest star? Like, like you love her because she has presence, but we don't get the chemistry there. Uh, so the winner here is Fred Grandy. And, and it's Fred Grandy doing an Italian, doing an American accent. Like that, That's great. That's comedy gold. Um, yeah. it, it's almost as much fun as we have when Gavin McLeod shows up playing Meryl Steubing's brother. Like th those, those episodes are great, you know? So having some quality go for comedy content, always a plus. Um, I'm just going to say morals, meanings, messages, letting the predator win the girl in the end is a really screwed up message. Uh, how about you guys? Um, I'm going to agree with you hundred uh, percent. I can't really challenge anything you've said and I am in complete agreement, which is rare for one of these episodes. And two, I think in 199, I think maybe this has happened, John, uh, less than a handful of times. So yeah, yeah, um, totally. the only thing I'd add is that this episode is all over the place. You're right yeah. that it could have been a one-parter. I feel like it's only two parts because it's the only way ABC would approve the budget for this episode. Mm. Uh, because otherwise, it very easily could have been a condensed one-hour story. The other thing is none of these storylines story is either really relatable or remotely compelling. So you've got that working against it. Um, is it the love boat? Yeah. Will I watch it if it's on? Yeah, but I'm not going to put it up there in a best of reel or you know run it yeah. in summer reruns. Sure. Yeah. I I gotta say I'm in, I'm pretty much in agreement with you, John, on everything. The casting was just I thought was was just the low point of of the episode. The for me the strength of the episode wasn't the new ship and the location. I felt that mm. that was something that brought it down for me. But I will say, Fred Grandy stole the show. For me. Oh, yeah. And and it's about yeah. time that we get somebody like like the character of Gopher to be able to have such a strong episode. Now, having him play somebody else, to me, it's not as great as what we talked about on Regal Beagle, our threes company podcast, when John Ritter played Jack Tripper and his twin brother Austin from Texas. With, yeah, well, uh, I yeah, mean, that's, that, just, that's, I mean, that's great. just one of the yeah. best that you're ever going to say. But but seeing sure. them try this here in the early 80s, it worked for me. And, and it's something that um, if this if this storyline wasn't in it and it was just everybody in that completely dysfunctional family, 
this would have been a horrendous episode for me. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Dan, why don't you tell us what's coming up next week? It's always good when we talk about what's next week, guys. So, uh, yeah, next week, episode three of season six, uh, we're going to talk about the anniversary gift, Honey Be Mine, and Bewigged, Bothered, and Bewildered. Interesting. Lido Deck, a Love Boat podcast, is produced by the Rumpus Room Podcast Network, executive producer Alan Smithy. For more great discussion, please check out some of the other podcasts on our network by visiting rumpusroompods.com, where you'll find shows dedicated to Three's Company, Starsky and Hutch, and more. Guys, I know we have to wrap it up, and I'm I'm sorry. Um, I just I wanted to check in, Dan. You haven't gotten any more letters from uh, Viacom, CBS Legal, have you? Like, is I, that is I that behind really, you? I don't really want to discuss that, to be honest okay. with you. Because uh, I mean, you know that we're we're behind you. Like, love boat, love boat fan film, great idea, but like. I, you know, maybe Patreon or maybe some private investment is the way to go. Selling Love Boat reproduction props, costume patches. That's look, we're all friends with John Van Sitters. We we all get we understand, you know, like he's a good guy. He cares. But I just we don't want you to be in trouble because we want the show to keep going. I appreciate that. I really thought that the selling point would have been the coffee branded with the Love Boat. But I know whatever they're going to do what they're going to do. And okay. Have I have I gotten anything? All I'll say is they wanted to make sure I understood their decision. Let's just leave it at that. Well, okay. I'm just glad you All were right. able to do the the first you know 15 minute prelude to Ensenada. I think it was fantastic. Yeah, thank and you. It's a, it's a tribute to the Love Boat that is that will live on forever. I yeah. appreciate that very much. You Good know, job, man. Something we're going to start filming again soon, hopefully. Thirty okay. days out. Okay, uh, possibly. All right. Watch our social media. We might have a YouTube video coming up to talk more about it, but I'll, I'll post something if that happens. Okay. All right. Look, we, 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 fingers crossed. We were just going to hope the best. Thanks, okay. guys. Appreciate All it. RRPN, the Rumpus Room Podcast Network. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.